Hello, and welcome to Tech Connects, DICE's podcast where we dig into topics on tech hiring, recruiting, and careers that matter to you. I'm your host, Nick Kolakowski, and I'm going to talk to great guests every month about the current state of the tech careers world, including the tech job market, the hottest tech skills, what companies are doing to attract and retain technology professionals in a historically tight market, and much, much more. Our next guest is Mark Chafee, who's CEO of Hackajob, which is attempting to upend the tech job market. With the traditional job hunting model, tech professionals apply for jobs. But with Hackajob, everything is inverted. Companies must apply for tech professionals whose skills and experience match what they need. It's a fascinating idea. And the experience of spinning up Hackajob has given Chafee some key insights into the tech job market at the moment. We're going to discuss everything from the current state of tech hiring to the most in-demand tech skills to the potential impact of generative AI on the job market. So let's get to it. So thank you for being on. And um, I was really intrigued by Hackajob. and the whole sort of format, the whole idea that you've designed it towards, which is that, you know, as opposed to making job candidates apply to companies, the companies apply to the job candidates, inverting the traditional model. Um, and I'm wondering, the first thing that kind of occurred to me, because I speak to a lot of recruiters and hiring managers who are very used to how things go traditionally, like, and this, you know, I, I was just curious, I mean, how are, how are they responding to something like that? Because they're probably not used to having to go out and sort of audition, I guess, almost for for the candidates out there. So, I mean, how, how, how's, how's that working out for them? Yeah, well, firstly, Nick, thanks for having me on. Awesome to be here. Um, and yeah, it's certainly uh, a piece of education that we often work on with, with the companies that we work with. I think if we take a step back, why do we have this model in place? Well, in technology, it is a very tight labor marketplace. And even despite all of the layoffs, you know, it's still incredibly challenging to hire really great technical people. There is still more demand in the market than there is supply to meet that demand. And so our approach has been to look at it through the lens of the candidate, through the the lens of an engineer, and actually what's the challenges that they face and and how can we solve those. And if you think about the, the kind of two challenges that we consistently hear from candidates, one is that they get spanned nonstop. You know, they're absolutely inundated with mostly completely irrelevant um, requests, whether it be from recruiters or, or staffing agencies, etc. Um, and the other is that when they do apply for jobs, often they'll get ghosted. You know, they'll never hear back um, from, from companies. So the whole point behind the model is actually to place the candidate at the center of the journey really focus on their experience because if we create a really magical candidate experience, the candidate engagement rate is going to be really high and that then ultimately solves the problem for the employer. So because companies pitch the candidate and because the candidate's given us so much data up front, they're only getting pitched by companies that meet their salary expectations, visa status, tech stack and all of that piece, um, which creates this like 85% response rate to uh, the company, right? So they've got this way more engaged sample than they've had previously. Now, if we come on to the question you asked, you know, what is the reaction to this from internal recruiters and hiring managers? I think it very much depends on the maturity of the TA function inside that business. No, I think some of the more mature TA functions that we work with will have big direct sourcing teams where they are very used to being the ones that initiate the conversation and they're going out and sourcing talent on a variety of different products and platforms. You know, I'm really trying to pitch the candidate in the first instance. We've made that a little bit more formal, but that still exists. I think for organizations, and a lot of our customers fit in this bracket, where potentially they haven't hired a lot of technical people before, 
Um, you know, maybe they're going through larger digital transformation programs, um, you know, or maybe um, they're insourcing technology for the first time. And they're very used to being able to post a job application or job advert on Indeed, their career site, LinkedIn, get hundreds of applications uh, and kind of sift for it. One of the things that's always a telltale sign is when I see companies hiring for software engineers and they have a closing date on the job ad. I'm like, ah, okay, you guys are approaching this very much like traditional hiring where actually often there is more supply and market than demand so the company's got more control. And so what that often ends up leading us to is two things. One, doing a big education piece with those types of organizations and why they need to build this direct sourcing model and why they need to be comfortable initiating the conversation with the engineer because ultimately that's how they're going to get the talent that they need inside the organization. And then two, it's also just being really clear about what type of companies we work with. You know, at the end of the day, I think not every product is going to work for every organization. And I think we just accept that. So when we're onboarding customers onto the platform, you know, we really want to make sure where is their maturity from a direct sourcing perspective? You know, how much can we support them with training, which we do a lot of, um, versus actually are they just ready to plug in and play? Yeah. The other thing, I mean, so yesterday I was talking to a couple of computer science majors about the job application process, and they were talking about they were all applying to fintech companies. Um, and the, 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 the hiring process was sort of egregious for them because they were going, one of them went through like a pair programming test and then homework and then another technical test and then a panel interview. And this was on top of, you know, kind of the usual recruiting and hiring things. And it, it may, and all of them, all three of them had gone through the same thing. And it made me think like, okay, like, especially at larger companies, you have multiple steps because they're obviously trying to winnow down an enormous pool in some cases of applicants for a particular job. And I'm wondering with the model that you're pushing here, um, do you think that that would encourage companies to change? Because if they're reaching out to a candidate that they see, then conceivably it would make things a lot better because it would eliminate a, potentially eliminate at least like all those layers of preliminary interviews. Um, I wonder if you've thought about that just because, I mean, I was thinking about your company and that was the thing that occurred to me when I was talking to these kids. Yeah, totally. So I think one of the things that we do exceptionally well is capture a lot of structured data on the candidate. So uh, yes, we'll have a CV that gets converted into a hacker job profile, but then we're capturing structured data around salary, seniority, tech stack, location, visa, etc. Um, and so that means that actually the matching process is far more relevant. So the, the, they're not wasting time filling out applications. And then because the company is initiating the, the first step, the first conversation, often that first call is a 15-minute call where it's just both parties getting to know each other and just kind of warming each other up. But because the company's already got so much data on this individual, they don't need to go through the full application process and, and kind of create that really lengthy candidate experience or candidate application process. I was at a conference last week and it was really interesting. One of the speakers was talking about how long is too long for an interview process for, for tech roles. And it was by far and away like agreed in the room that the interview should be three stages. There should be some form of recruitment, screening, introduction call. There should be some form of technical assessment, whether that's done asynchronous offline or whether that's done live through pair programming. And there should be one final interview, which is more around culture values and maybe more, more diamonds on the tech. Um, and we really push customers to, to go with that approach. One of the biggest variables in if a company is going to be successful on hacker job or not is how long their interview process is because it's a competitive market. And candidly, these candidates can drop out and go and interview elsewhere if you're going to put them through five, six, seven stages. So, you know, it's definitely something that we have thought about is how can we refine and shorten that candidate interview process? Because ultimately, like I said, we want to place the candidate at the heart of everything that we do. 
Yeah. And they and they will drop out. I mean, especially for people, I feel, in more in-demand roles, you know, where they're fielding inquiries from all these different companies. Um, you just, you, 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 when you talk to them, you get this sort of thunderhead of frustration that starts building where they really just don't want to do it anymore after like the third technical interview. And I mean, you understand because tech professionals are such an expensive investment, especially for smaller companies that might not have the capital of a Google or whatever to afford a lot of machine learning experts or whatever. So they want to make the right choice, but sometimes that excessive caution over making the right choice, I'm not sure if that's the right term, but you can see why it would kind of drive them insane. Um, and, and that sort of brought me to the, the next talking point that you and I were kind of going over before this started, which is the macroeconomic situation right now in general for tech pros seems to be, um, I guess, a little bit uncertain. Like tech unemployment is still pretty low. But, you know, for example, this morning, Axios published a couple of data points about how the, the so-called great resignation, the level of quits among tech professionals and other employees had kind of dropped to pre-pandemic levels and so on. So it seems like some of that demand might be sort of leaching out of the system, but in other ways, it seems like it's still elevated. I'm just wondering what you're seeing, because I mean, obviously with everything you're doing, you're right in the middle of this. So I'm just, I'm, I'm just curious about that. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things to say here. I think firstly, one interesting point is like, how do we define tech professionals? Because I think that tech has become such a big sector in the economy. You know, it makes up so much of the the S&P and, and um, the NASDAQ and all the exchanges now, that often we describe people that work in sales at Google as a tech professional, right? Because they're working in tech, but they're not doing a technical role. Whereas now technical roles are across every single industry, right? It doesn't matter whether you are a software business or you're in defense and space or you're a big retailer, you're hiring software talent. So are we talking about technical talent and actually how they're you know, what demand they've got? Or are we talking about professionals that work in the tech sector? If we start on the latter, professionals that work in the tech sector, it's clearly a very, very challenging time, right? You know, you've seen companies, um, you know, Meta probably being the, the real standout for so long refusing to do layoffs and now done two or three rounds of pretty significant layoffs, you know, yeah. um, inside that organization. And it is touching tech roles as well. You know, in the first couple, it wasn't. It is now starting to touch tech roles inside those organizations. So there is clearly some softening in demand there. And candidly, like the how tight the labor marketplace was for technology professionals in 2020, 2021 was not normal. We were seeing candidates getting 25, 30% year on year pay rises, right? Like that is not a normal environment for us to operate. I think what is really interesting is if you look at the, the US labor statistics, there are still more people being employed in technical professions this time uh, now than, than this time 12 months ago. And so what's driving that is actually a lot of the non-traditional technology companies are doubling down on their technology investment during this period. I saw a stat recently that Walmart have got the most technical job ads live of any company in the US right now. Mm. And that makes complete sense to me because one of our largest customers in the UK is a business called Sainsbury's, which is you know one of the largest grocery uh, stores in, in, in the UK. So I think that overall, like I said at the start, there is still more demand uh, than supply in the market for technical people. That demand has softened because of what's happened in the, in big tech and in, in venture-backed tech world. But the the more legacy or more non-traditional tech companies and the drive that they've got to invest in tech is definitely um, compensating for that drop-down in, in kind of the big tech world. Hmm. Yeah, no, that definitely, I mean... Amidst all of that, where where we're seeing, yeah, no, and Meta was really egregious. I think 
off the top of my head, 25,000 or something like that. I mean, overall in Silicon Valley, I mean, that particular big tech sector got hit with, I want to say like I mean, hundreds of thousands. But at the same time, we also saw industries that weren't tech. Uh, CompTIA does a good breakdown of this. Kind of the, all the, A lot of those tech pros are kind of going into manufacturing or retail or whatever, and then having to adjust to a different culture. And I mean, it's just, it's, it's an interesting thing. Um, but I guess, I mean, the, the question too is, I mean, you can see us now that on your platform, companies are reaching out to tech professionals. I mean, what are they looking for in this environment? Are they looking for, I mean, is it data scientists? Is everybody concerned about their analytics capabilities, is machine learning, AI, because that's all the hype right now? I mean, what's, what are sort of the hot things they're looking for? What do they want? Yeah, I find this fascinating because um, we work, like I said, with a lot of enterprise organizations that are going through these big digital transformation programs. So still one of the most in-demand areas for, for talent is DevOps professionals that are doing big migrations from on-premise um, you know, hosting to, to clouds, however, the AWS GCP is your, that's still a massive area. And especially the lens of that combined of security. So you have roles called like DevSecOps um, mm-hmm. engineers that cover those two areas, which is fascinating to people because people think like the cloud is done, right? Like everyone's in the cloud now, off we go. And actually, no, you know, a lot of these big companies, it takes time, like I said, especially through the lens of security. So that's an area that's booming. Um, you know, just your core software engineering, because attrition is so high in just core software engineering, I think it's around 20% a year on average. You know, companies generally have always on hiring needs. Now, the language of the month often changes. So yes, your big Java is, you know, is always pretty consistent. We've seen a really strong growth in demand for Go engineers um, yeah. as we look at building kind of more scalable and, and, and fast solutions. Um, on the front end, React seems to have won the, the kind of front end framework war. Um, and there's some really exciting things happening with TypeScript in that space. And so you do see that the languages and the tools of the, the month kind of change, uh, but that core software engineering need is there. And then obviously AI has captured the imagination of just about everyone right now. And I think that, you know, if you're not an organization thinking about, um, you know, how your, how your team or how your company is going to leverage AI, you're probably um, behind the eight ball at this point. So, you know, absolutely there is a big demand for data scientists, data engineers, machine learning specialists, um, et cetera, in that world. And it's going to be really exciting. You know, we were discussing this as a team a couple of weeks ago. Are we going to see a surge for prompt engineers, you know, people that yeah. can use, you know, these new interfaces uh, incredibly effectively, which I think is, is a really exciting evolution. You know, 18 months ago, all the rage was around Web3. And, you know, do we have engineers that know Solidity, which is a lot of what the, the blockchain applications are written in. So I think that that is one of the funnest parts about what we do is tech moves so quickly, evolves so quickly, uh, and how we make sure that we're staying on top of that and that the candidates and giving them that data is, is a really great value add for the, for the business. Do you think, I mean, in terms of machine learning and generative AI and everything at this moment, a lot of what I've been talking to people about is sort of centers on whether... Because obviously a lot of processes are getting automated. And then you look at BARD and ChatGPT and so on, and you can generate code from them. And on one hand, there are people who are saying in terms of technology that the impact is going to be, it's going to free up programmers and developers and engineers to focus on higher level things like kind of feature creation or the creative fun stuff as opposed to low level coding. Then on the other hand, you have some people I talk to are in absolute panic. They think that this is going to be a job destroyer, that all sorts of developers are going to be kind of wiped out of a job. Um, 
I mean, how do you feel about that dichotomy? Because you're also seeing, I mean, obviously on the employer side, they're probably kicking the tires on automation. You also have the candidate side where candidates are potentially freaking. I mean, what's, what's kind of your macro view on all this? Yeah. So firstly, I think we have to acknowledge we are still so early. You know, it's okay. I released this maybe six months ago at this point, and the rate of innovation is incredible. And I've certainly, you know, I've been doing this almost 10 years now. I've certainly not seen anything that captured the imagination so quickly as this product has, which is incredible and and very, very exciting. I am definitely in the camp that this is not going to be this massive job destroyer. Like, I, I don't buy that argument. I think every time there is major technology innovation, that is often the argument that is put forward. And then we find new ways to employ people. We find new skills that the new economy needs. And I think that is exactly what's going to happen here. I do think that if you are a software engineer or a data scientist and you're not playing around with these tools every single day, you're going to get left behind. And actually, I think that's true of any knowledge worker, whether you are a software engineer, whether you work in sales or marketing. You know, I think that it's going to be like using... Microsoft Word or Google Chrome or YouTube, right? I think it's going to become that ubiquitous in in your day-to-day job. Um, And I think the opportunity there is to make people more effective. I I actually wrote this on LinkedIn this morning. Hot take, I don't think AI is going to replace humans in in the hiring process. I think getting a job is such a human thing that actually candidates want to be able to speak to a human throughout that process. But I do believe a smaller internal recruitment team equipped with the right tools will probably be able to work across more recs than what the existing size of that team is today. And I think that's the sort of thing that we're going to see across all of these knowledge workers is that with the that leveraging these these generative AI tools, they're going to be able to be two, three, four X more effective than what they are today, which may mean that you need smaller teams to do the the work of today. But like I said, I'm very confident that then there will be other jobs that come out of the back of this. The, um, they actually just passed a law in New York here that says if you're going to use any sort of automated tool or, or AI platform to recruit and hire people that it needs to undergo, and I don't, I don't know what this would look like impartially, but um, a, basically a bias audit once a year, which I thought, I mean, is an interesting idea, you know, kind of when it's written in that legal lease and it's kind of very top level, but it'll be interesting to see how they potentially implement it. Um, but as I was reading through the legal lease and so on, I was thinking, yeah, I mean, like at the very end, like the machine might be able to winnow down to like 10 candidates or whatever, but it's going to be up to a human to make sure the culture fit is there and things like that. Um, in terms of culture fit, like on the on your platform, I mean, culture fit is obviously one of the big, huge issues that constantly erupts in hiring. And it's something that, you know, good hiring managers work for and candidates are always nervous about. I mean, how do you... What's your approach to it? Because um, it's a very kind of sticky, subjective thing. Like, how how do you ensure that amidst all this matching you're doing, that there's that that the fit is there potentially, or that you're helping facilitate that fit at least? Yeah, it's it's an incredibly challenging thing to quantify, and I think that's often what companies struggle with, right? I think smaller startups sometimes fall into the trap of culture fit just means do, do I like this person? You know, am I going to get on with this person? And that's not really what we're trying to achieve when we look about culture fit you know we've just gone through a bit of an evolution at hacker job internally where we've moved from values to operating principles and have now built out an interview framework to interview and assess against those operating principles that we're looking at and we don't try and solve that problem on hacker job like i don't think that there i'm I'm yet to see a compelling um, technological solution that can solve the, the culture fit or the values interview what we do really strongly consider is the different types of environments that an engineer wants to work in and that companies operate in. 
Because just because you are a Java software engineer does not mean that, you know, if you're a Java software engineer in a very product focused organization, you might be more of a product engineer where you're actually expected to speak to the end user and understand what their needs are and then go back and, and iterate off the back of that. Um, or you might be in a large organization that is very security focused and therefore actually the deployment process is much slower, much more methodical, much more thoughtful. Um, so what we're really trying to understand is what type of environment does the engineer want to be in? What type of environment is the company? And then layer that into the matching as well. So we're not just looking at company A and company B want to hire Java engineers and can pay $150,000 a year for it and candidate A and B you know, meet that requirement. It's actually, well, this organization adopt this methodology or, or this way of working um, versus this. And then how do we then prioritize that in the matching? Something you just hit on with AI. And if I'm a company right now, I'd be very hesitant about using AI to take any decisions in the hiring process. I think we saw a couple of years ago, a bit of a horror story of Amazon and, and some of the challenges that they had with it because the, the, the AI was trained on a very biased data set. So none of our AI takes decisions. It's all around recommendations. And we're using that data to make these recommendations. And I think that's where it can have the biggest impact from a sourcing and matching standpoint at the moment. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting also in terms of edu educating recruiters and hiring managers, because the one thing that I hear over and over again is that there, some of them at least see automation as this wonderful opportunity to like ease their workloads, because so many of them are like completely swamped right now. And a lot of them who don't have technical backgrounds, it really freaks them out sometimes if they're told, oh, you need to hire a senior data scientist and make sure that they check all these boxes and that you understand that they're capable of these skills. So, I mean, that education will be an interesting process in terms of like telling people how to use these things effectively or not use them at all, as you said, in terms of like making sure that decision. Um, so it'll be, um, yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, long-term in terms of from, from the tech candidate side of it, long-term, you know, we were talking about AI before as, you know, and machine learning as a skill for people to stay on top of, especially in certain specialized professions, um, you know, and also the programming languages. Um, what else should they stay on top of? I mean, is it a sort of thing where as things get more automated and so on, there'll be greater emphasis on people's teamwork abilities, their soft skills? I mean, like, what's sort of key in terms of what employers are looking for? I think one of the misnomers already in hiring technical people is, is people think that it's all about hard skills and in inverted commas, that it's about your proficiency in a specific program language or specific tool. You go and speak to hiring managers and you ask them, what are the top three or five characteristics of your really standout engineers? And it's a lot of the stuff that we describe as soft skills. It is the communication. You know, a real 10x engineer that has the ability to take very, very technical concepts and can communicate them in a very clear way to non-technical people is a very big value add. You know, a lot of these product teams are working in highly collaborative, highly cross-functional environments, right? Where actually, you know, they're not sat on a silo. This idea of them sitting on headphones, you know, and not talking to anyone all day is a bit of a myth. Actually, these are highly, highly collaborative functions. So I very much believe that, you know, as we look at AI coming into the workforce and, and you know, augmenting humans, that more human side is obviously going to be crucial. The other magical thing about technical professionals is this desire to continuously learn. Um, you know, if you every survey we do, you know, what percentage of, of our users have learned a new language, skill, framework, tool over the last 12 months? And it's always north of 70%. So, you know, I think there is an innate learning culture within this profession that I think puts generally the, the, the candidate in very good stead to be on the edge of, you know, what new tool, technology, framework, product out there that is that they can leverage.
Cool. Um, one thing sort of as an aside in terms of the programming languages, and this, this is as much my edification as anything else, is a lot of the data that we've been seeing lately, and this is from disparate sources, emphasizes Python over and over again as like one of those languages learned. Are you seeing that as well? I'm just curious because you mentioned, you know, TypeScript and Java and, and et cetera and Golang, which is great. Um, but just curious because... I think one of the fascinating things about Python and why it always comes up in any of the surveys is one of the most in-demand skills is it's such a versatile language. It can be used in multiple different ways. Mm -hmm. So you can build web applications in Python and use a web framework like Django or Flask. And that means Python is competing with Node.js or with Java as kind of like a more traditional backend language. You could then use Python in a DevOps and platform team, um, you know, and from uh, kind of a scripting perspective. And there it's competing with like a Golang, for instance. Or you could use Python in a data team. It's very, very common within a data science team that you're using Python where it might be competing with a Scala or something like that. So because it's such a versatile language, in any of the kind of most sought after skill reports that you see, um, it will always be right at the top alongside JavaScript because even with TypeScript coming into being way more popular, every front-end application pretty much they use is JavaScript. Um, so that's why it's often at the top of the list is because it's such a versatile language and can be used in so many different teams inside a, a wider product org. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely, I mean, data scientists I talked to, it seems like, you know, like, you know, R got steamrolled by it, et cetera, in the data science context. It just seems like, so, no, that's fascinating. And that's it, folks. Hopefully you found that talk as fascinating as I did. Here are a couple of quick takeaways that could help you out as you negotiate the job market. First, despite all the headlines about layoffs, companies are still having a hard time finding the tech professionals they need, especially when it comes to sourcing specialized talent. That makes some companies desperate and more likely to spam candidates who might not fit their requirements. If you're a manager or a team leader on the hunt for talent, it's worth taking a considered, careful approach to your sourcing. You may need a bit more time to fill the position, but the odds are higher you'll find the right candidate for the job. Second, AI is going to have an impact on hiring, but it's going to take some time, if ever, before automation can potentially take over recruiting and hiring entirely. Job candidates want the human touch, and it's up to companies to provide that. Third, there's a lot of chatter out there about how AI will impact how tech professionals do their jobs. We're already starting to see the effects of this, but it could take years, if not decades, for the impact of generative AI to fully play out. And while automation may eliminate some jobs, there's every chance it could end up creating quite a few more different ones. Which leads us to the fourth and last point. Soft skills such as communication and empathy matter just as much as technical skills. If you're out on the job market right now, take the time to emphasize your soft skills in your resume, application materials, and job interviews. It could really set you apart from the other candidates. We covered a whole lot of other topics during this episode, of course, so give it a re-listen if there was something you missed. We'll see you next time. And remember, DICE is your best resource to find the tech talent you need to fill your open roles, and for technologists, the best place to grow your tech career.